Welcome in. This is the latest edition of the Character Concerns Podcast. My name is Christian Ocero, joined as always by my guy, Jay Binkley. We just finished. Was that week eight? It was, it was week eight of the college football season. You know yeah. what, Chris? Every time you say that, I sit here and think, where the hell is this season going? It's going fast. <laughs> it drives me nuts, man. You know how long and how many days I sat there staring at the wall, watching time tick by, yeah. going out to Barnes & Noble and getting my college football magazine. You only did that once. The anticipate I do it once a year. Yeah, right. so say you do it once. I do it usually. That's not first, a frequent thing you do. Well, the first week of June, I still buy them. I know everybody does things online. They yeah, say, "Why well, yeah. are you going out and buying magazines? You're an idiot." Whatever. Yeah. So, okay. First of all, what are you going to read on the toilet? Well, yeah, you have so, a phone. I know. Yeah, yeah get an iPad. On. I know. Use your laptop if you really need to, but you can just get an iPad. But anyway, you can just I read go out that. There. But I, but anyway, I go. At the, it's it's an annual tradition to me. It's like a, a tradition, a holiday tradition. Are you also the person that goes to Evergy and pays your light bill? No, that hell no. Do you, you go to the thing, insurance man. agency hell and pay no. your insurance bill? No, this isn't. But I like a hard copy because when I'm watching college football, I like to have this magazine. Just look at the, you know, stats from last year, schedules. I could look, I look a lot of stuff up on my phone. Obviously, I, I spend a lot of time on the old, you know, voice to. Well, yeah, you are definitely a voice to text or or, vo- How many years or voice searching. Well, yeah. well, what kills me now is the eligibility, because with that free COVID year, we're finally starting to get out of there. Because you know, that guys have been playing four years. There's still players. a few guys though. Hell, Cam Rising in Utah, he's, if he medically redshirts this year, well, it looks like yeah. he's going to get one. It'll be seven years that he's going to play. And also, it kind of gives me a roadmap for which college quarterback transferred because there's so many uh, transferring now. But I I spend that one day, I go get the college football previews. And then I lose myself in them for a while, and I can't wait for week zero in college football. And then you blink, and all of a sudden, um, USC's out of it basically now with two losses, which we did call on the show. Yeah, there's no defense that's played there. Every one of their stars and their their is offense, on offense the last few weeks is kind of has has not really shown up the way that they had early in the year. If there's one team that's positioning itself for the draft, it's USC. Yeah, because for USC, and I know it's a team sport. And you got to win team games, but this team's not going to the playoffs now. The season's lost. But draft stock can be won and lost for this football team in particular for how they finish the rest of the year. And here's the thing, too. It's it's crucial for NFL teams with a lot of these games we're talking about. Like, how do guys perform when the chips are down? Like, if your team's not going anywhere, do you evaluate the prospects? Like, you learn a lot about a player when their team's got like three, four losses or whatever, and you find out how if they show up to play. Right. Because you may need that because guess what? You might draft them into a terrible team in the National Football League. You want a guy when the chips are down uh, to still compete. But so anyway. we'll talk more about the mess that's kind of happened in the USC and how that applies to Caleb Williams because uh, things are very much changing for him right now. But I want to talk first starting with the Chiefs. And the Chiefs have... There's been a little bit of a tumultuous time as far as the receiving court goes. We have talked about this extensively on this show, about how priority number one for the Chiefs has to be find yourself a new number one receiver because Travis Kelsey is not going to play forever. I mean, I, I don't know if you've been watching him on the sidelines and whatnot during games the last couple years or so, but, like, while he's still is playing like he's well, you know, he's he's in his prime and he's a well-oiled machine. At some point, you can just see, like, okay, he's he ain't going to be able to do this forever. And you can see him walking on the sidelines and he, he's hurting. 
Yeah. You know, his body hurts. He's very, I mean, football's Father a painful game undefeated. anyways. But, like, I mean, you know those commercials with LeBron James and Father Time <laughs> last year? Like, Father Time go try to come after Travis Kelsey next. No, it does. I was, I peed on every postgame show with the Chiefs. And, and we were talking about last night. I was like, here's the one thing with the receiver. He's like, we're fine with the receivers, Jake. Look how he's spreading the ball around. I said, that's great and all. But 179 yards of Mahomes, over 400 yards passing. What's the Travis Kelsey? Yeah. So you take him out of the equation, what are you going to do? Like, who, who's going to get those yards for you in that situation? So it is a concern. I counted three drops uh, on the game. Just things you can't have that could have moved first downs. Um, Rasheed Rice had dropped it or it had fallen down, slipped down. Not really his fault, but it slipped down on a route yeah. where Mahomes had kind of overthrown it. There's just little things like that. And, of course, what Clyde did in the end zone, dropping the ball. But there's just the little things, and again, you're, I'm being nitpicky on a, on a six and one team. But they 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 put the expectations out there, right? Where we expect great things from them. I like to see Mahomes' job become easier. It's why that you know that I've been clamoring uh, for a wide receiver in the draft uh, the last couple of years, and especially um, this past year. Like, go out and get the receiver. It's why I was saying Rasheed Rice has more pressure on him. I felt than Sky Moore did in his rookie year. Because Rasheed Rice is counted on by this team. We're now looking at him and seeing how good he is. And this guy's now a fixture that you're counting on. If anything happened to Travis or whatever, you're going to Rasheed Rice more. But there's more pressure on this year because there's more expectations because he's a better player right now than Sky Moore. And I felt this with him because they didn't go out and get anybody in free agency. I mean, unless Richie James, but he's hurt. Whatever, he hadn't done anything for this team. But... Rasheed Rice was going to be counted on because it was him and Wanye Morris. That was the only two offensive guys. And, of course, Wanye's on the offensive line. You lose Juju. You brought in your big addition. You brought in was Rasheed Rice. Therefore, that's where the pressure is, in my opinion. Yeah, but I, I my thing is this. They didn't think he would do this this early. Otherwise, they would have put him in there from the very get-go. Like, I think they, when they got the St. Joe, but they this realized is a, but, they had to get that production from him. Yeah, but they never thought that they had to get that production from him because they thought that they were going to get that from Kadarius Tony and Sky Moore. They, <laughs> this is a move of necessity. Now. That was the, 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 the wishful thinking. Yeah, but they very clearly were wishfully thinking that they were going to get Rasheed that kind Rice's of production from Rice's reality thinking over wishful thinking. But that's the thing, though, is like there was no reality because we didn't know what he was going to bring to the Chris, team. Chris, I wish I dated year. a supermodel, but the reality is I'm not. Yeah, but my point, though, is that there was no reality where, where they believed that Rasheed Rice was going to be that guy. Otherwise, they would have put well, him he's in from Because we're, we're seven weeks into the season, yeah. Chris. You and I talk about two and three weeks in, you kind of, it's like baseball, like a baseball manager yeah. where, hey, 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 Ned, who's your sixth inning guy? Who's your seventh? I don't know yet, Jay. I don't know yet. Give me a month. Give me a month into the season. It's understandable. Who wants to take the ball in the sixth inning, the seventh inning, and eighth inning? And I felt different receivers were going to kind of earn that trust of Mahomes, earn that trust of yeah. Matt Nagy, earn that trust of Andy Reid. And Rasheed Rice, as we see the snap counts accumulating, yeah. they're still far lower than I'd like to see. Right. I'd still like to see him in the 80% range of snap counts. We've seen him at 51% against the Bears. Marquez Valenskanton led the way this last game. But if I'm going to see snap counts from receivers, I want you want production from the guy who leads with the most snaps. You want production out of that player. And, and certainly now because he's he's their leading wide receiver. He is, he's leading the team for wide receivers and catches and yards. So I think at this point now he's very much earned a higher share of those snaps. Uh, I, I do believe, though, that they never thought that they were going to get that kind of production from him this year. 
I don't believe that they thought he was ever no. going to get to this level. And the thing is, is I it's a great surprise because again, they were counting on Sky Moore and they were counting on Kadarius Tony to come in and be their top two wide receivers. Really expect them. The snap count uh, last night for wide receivers: MVS forty seven, Sky Moore forty one, Rasheed Rice forty. That needs to flip flop. To honestly, you need Rasheed Rice to lead. In I mean, to be honest, I I think he should be on the field. Kadarius Tony thirteen. Justin yeah. Ross had seventeen. <laughs> I think at this point now, Rasheed should be on the field every play. Every play, unless they're subbing him out for a little bit to give him a little rest, get someone else some reps. You know, they they decide they're going to go like twelve personnel, and you know they sub him out for whatever reason. I'm fine with that, but I think he should be the top wide receiver on the depth chart. He's starting to show that yards after catch. You're starting to see why the Chiefs drafted him. Yeah, because the Chiefs had the choice, and he was the guy. When you think about the world champions, they had one receiver they took in the draft. Rasheed Rice. Yeah, but they also were, again... He was we, picked for a reason. It, yeah, again, but let's also put context to that. They thought they would, they thought they traded for a number one wide receiver in Kadarius Tony last year. They moved a third-round pick to go get Kadarius, who's a former first-round pick. And they used a the second-round pick the year before on Sky Moore. So they very clearly were looking at those two guys at the very top of their depth chart for a wide receiver, and those two have not panned out. Sky Moore has had way more opportunities and has not produced at the level that Rasheed has. And uh, you look at Kadarius, Kadarius can't even stay healthy, oh. let alone produce when he's on the field because he's not on the field enough. So. Here's the snap counts for Rasheed Rice, starting with Detroit. 31%, 18%, 51% against the Bears. Again, they had other guys because there's a blowout game, so you kind of got to throw that, throw that one out the window. Then 46%, 30%. Last week against the Broncos, he jumps up to 49%. And then we hit the high water mark yesterday. 59% of the snaps for She Rice was out there. Obviously, you take baby steps. Let's move that 59% at least to 79% against the Broncos this week. Yeah, I don't, we'll think, this is, I don't think this is a baby step thing anymore. I think at this point now, he's shown what he can do with the little volume he's been getting. Yeah. Now you have to be like, okay. Let's put you in this position. If you if you if you succeed, great. If you don't, you know, we'll reevaluate. But I think he's earned the opportunity to get the kind of volume that a number one wide receiver would get in this offense, and you see what happens. Like I I understand Andy doesn't want to put people in positions where they don't they're not ready for it. I think Rasheed has shown that he's ready for this position. And I think the more that they that they uh, stifle him, I think the worse you're, you're the the more of a disservice you're doing to him because he's earned the right to be that guy. Like he has been the most consistent receiver that they've had on their roster aside from Justin Watson, like by far. And even with Justin Watson, Justin Watson's not a high volume target. He's a guy you get him a couple catches a game, big plays, you're happy with him. Oh, great! You know Justin got his little cameo in the game. But Rasheed's a guy you could target 10 times and you can trust that he'll have an impact with those 10 targets. So I think I think if, for now, he should be the number one. The question it, it, becomes, do they still need to go after a number one type? Or do they, or at this point now, is it supplementing? Well, there's a couple things for Rasheed Rice. Obviously, the separation from his stats compared to wide receiver number two at SMU last year from 97 catches down to 38. But also the comparisons with Sammy Watkins. 
threw it out there on draft night. This guy kind of reminds me of Sammy Watkins. The Chiefs have coveted that Sammy Watkins type. And then, lo and behold, in training camp, you have Mahomes make the reference to Sammy Watkins when talking about Rasheed Rice. Rasheed Rice was asked about it. It was kind of funny when he was asked about it because he had asked, uh, who said that? Someone asked him in the media, do you like Sammy Watkins? And he goes, who said that? And they go, Pat. (laughs) He goes, oh, Pat said that. Okay. uh, I agree. But that's what he kind of reminds me of him. So I know the Chiefs have really coveted that. Yeah, spot. my my thing though was like, do they are they aggressive at getting another big time playmaker? Are they looking to supplement or are they looking to hey we want another guy with number one potential? Because I still think they they should f- very much try to get another number one capable wide receiver. And you're not going to have to move far. Yeah, and it's a loaded draft class for wide receivers anyway. If you just get in a 19 or 20, which is in a... 19 or 20, you don't even need to do that. Like, I think you could probably move up into, like, the mid-teens. I mean, we'll the mid-20s. See, the board falls, see yeah. what happens to the but board. But I think, I think mid-20, because I don't... Like, even if there's a run on wide receivers like there was two years ago, where you saw all the really good ones, the Jamison Williams, the Jahan Dotsons, uh, Olave, Garrett Wilson, guys like that go in the teens, you know, in between like 10 and 15. You you had like four wide receivers go. Even if you see that, there's still so many talented wide receivers. Like wide receivers 5 through 10 might end up being better than wide receivers 1 through 5 this past year, this year in this year's draft. That was my whole theme. That's how loaded this draft that was. That was my whole theme that uh, we could see better receivers yeah. in the second like five. Like 5 season. through 10 might end up being better than 1 through 5 this this past draft. That's how talented this wide receiver draft is, the you know, for next year. Size and speed. We keep talking about it. So I I just feel like the Chiefs might like the Chiefs would be smart to go get another number 1 type. Go get a Romo Dunzi if he's there. Go get a Keon Coleman if he's there. I really, I Keon Coleman might be my favorite guy that could be available for the Chiefs. A Malik Neighbors, you can think it way. I don't down think, yeah, Na- Neighbors they'd have to trade up for. <laughs> like Neighbors is going to be the second receiver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, you're going to have to trade. But up even like a I Brian think. Smith at, a, at LSU or somebody like that. Yeah, or well, Brian Thomas or Brian Thomas. Yeah, yeah, you could you could go, and I, I think Brian Thomas Jr. might actually be in their range where they're sitting at late first. They, he might actually be in their range if they want to go get him. So like Xavier Texas, couple of them, Xavier, Ward, yeah, Xavier, Xavier Weaver Mitchell, as well. Yeah, yeah. Those, those are those are also guys they could go. There's a lot of really good wide receivers in this draft class, and I think that the Chiefs should very much prioritize trying to get another number one guy because all these teams are overloading their their teams with wide receiver talent. Chiefs got to do the same thing too, especially if and when we see that regression from Travis Kelsey. Another thing that was really interesting to me. Uh, was the fact, and this might not seem like a massive detail here, but one day more is dressed for yesterday's game. He has been inactive all season long. He's been watching the games in, in street clothes. In yesterday's game, I remember walk, him walking into the, to the, uh, to the locker room at half, and he was in pads. I was like, oh, one day dressed. Okay, that tells me that they feel comfortable enough that if he needed to play, he could play. And he did at the beginning of the second half. He got one snap in the game. Now, again, one snap. But this is a rookie left tackle, a guy who was a right tackle when he was at Oklahoma. And they bring him in, immediately make him a left tackle. He was running with the twos. There was a learning curve. But now they feel comfortable enough 
to put him in the position to be a potential guy who can plug and play at left tackle. Yeah, because Donovan Smith got right back in the game, but right. it is interesting, and I thought it was interesting they throw Juan Gain in there because yeah. I was like, okay, that's, that's big-time stuff for this guy just now dressing. He's a rookie. Getting thrown It's that versatility. He can play both sides. Andy Reid absolutely loves that. He loves those swing tackles. With a guy like Wanya Morris, again, one of two offensive guys selected by the Chiefs and Rasheed Rice we was talking about Wanya Morris. But I thought that was a big step for the Chiefs to put him in the game to protect the blind side of their half-billion-dollar quarterback. It tells me that they are starting to build some trust with him, and I think now we can kind of see what the vision is for that position. Donovan Smith is a stopgap left tackle, which we I think we figured that. But I think we thought the idea Turns out to be was, a really good move. <laughs> yeah, it's a really good move. I think the thing we thought was, Jawan Taylor comes in, he's the starting right tackle. I think they saw early on he's not a starting right tackle. He, he, I mean, he's not a starting left tackle. They thought he was going to be left tackle. They realized very quickly he's a right tackle. That's that's his position. That's what he's best at. We got to keep him there. And so their other plan was let's do the thing that we were hoping we could do with Darian Kennard last year, which is let's draft this guy and let's turn him into a tackle. Let's turn him into a starting tackle. It didn't work out. Darian Kennard, not an NFL tackle. He's probably a guard at best. And they were able to go get a guy in Wanye that had all the measurables, that had all of the physical attributes you like. He just needs to develop the skill, develop the talent, you know, develop the ability to play that position. And I think now they're starting to feel comfortable with him being in that role because now they're dressing him and – they put him in for a play, and I, I honestly think if Donovan Smith couldn't have gone back in there in that second half, Wanye would have played that entire second half at left tackle. It was interesting because Keandre Coburn snacks from he Texas. He got let go. We saw, yeah, we saw him dressed one time. One time. One time. Ended up, he's now a member of the Denver Broncos. Yeah, he's on their practice squad now. Which is so, kind of And I would say what's well, a strategic pick. <laughs> they want to beat the Chiefs, so you bring in a former Chief, but the Broncos are in a position to – Toy with the Chiefs yeah, for the division. They're not, they're not so, a team like that, no. I, I look at that, but yes, uh, Keandre Coburn, one of those guys, too, that wasn't getting his chance, did get a chance to dress earlier this season. A sixth-round pick this past year, now a member of the Denver Broncos. Yeah, and so I, I think we're starting to see the vision now from from Andy and Veach, which is, okay, we like what this kid's doing. We like what he's showing. We think we've got our left tackle. If Wanye is indeed the left tackle of the future for the Chiefs, that makes next year's draft so much easier. Because, again, I think we're thinking they got to do something about that left tackle spot. It's one of the positions we've brought up here on this podcast. You got to figure out left tackle because Donovan Smith ain't long for this team. He is not very good. It is sometimes watching him play uh, tackle is like watching someone getting their teeth pulled. We've seen more and more second and third round picks pan out at left tackle or right tackle. Right. The traditional thinking is you have to get them to the top 15, like an edge rusher. To get traditional, a, but we've seen plenty of them not plenty of second, come out third of the, rounders, come out of yeah, come out of or the into the first round. round. And again, that would have been plentiful for the Chiefs um, to get the uh, to get a tackle at the end of the first. Another round. interesting thing I've I've noticed is that a lot of those tackles, remember those tackles from uh, from twenty twenty one that we saw all the actually it was it was twenty twenty. Oh, Liam Eichenberg, all, yeah, you know, Eichenberg, they're all moved guard. They're all guard. Eichenberg played center last night for the uh, for the Dolphins against the Eagles. He was this, and he 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 was only playing center because their starting center got hurt. 
So he was in there playing center for them, and he was he's not really He was mocked to the Chiefs in several mocks. He was in there several mocks. Sam Cosme, another guy. Sam Cosme's been terrible. Most of these guys moved the guard. Cosme was – I was watching uh, that, that Commanders and Giants game on uh, on Red Zone. Cosme's not good. He's And this is a guy that got pretty immediately moved into – He no, he was a starting – Right tackle for 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 the commanders, and then very quickly was moved inside to guard. It's going to be looked upon as one of those wild drafts because there was no combine at all. No uh, medicals were just coming out the day of the uh, of the draft. Zach Wilson was part of that draft as well. I think we're going to look back at it because these guys, you know, they didn't play uh, against non conference opponents. They didn't have that. It was just a weird year where games are getting canceled mid season. So I'm kind of curious. That was the most impressive things for the Chiefs, though, is they went into St. Joe with 21 and 22 draft picks still in the roster, and that includes people from that COVID draft where there was no combine set up. That was an impressive draft for the Chiefs because yeah. they didn't make a lot of it's just It's crazy how they dodged a lot of bullets at tackle because we could be looking at them having a, a guy that they drafted to be their starting left tackle and – He's getting whooped regularly, so much so that the Chiefs have to put even more help than they normally do for their tackles. Now, all of a sudden, Noah Gray is going to have to line up on the left side of the line so he can help chip. Now, all of a sudden, your uh, whoever your running back is in there, whether it's Pacheco or Jet, they're in there having to chip there so so they can help out that that left tackle that can't play. There's a lot of things that could have come out of that. That would be a lot of negative. It shows smartness by the Chiefs front office. I don't know if that's a word, smartness. I don't think that's a word. Whatever, we'll just use it for this podcast. But anyway, the front office in scouting, because that was the Orlando Brown year. That was, all right, we don't see anybody in the draft we want. Let's go get Orlando Brown. So love or hate him, Orlando Brown, the Chiefs did not have a choice, but they got a starting left tackle. I mean, they had a choice. They just didn't have a lot of great options. And he was really kind of the best option at the time because he was a guy that had shown that he could play left tackle at the NFL level where you look at these guys like Cosme and Eichenberg and and, and guys like that, and it's like they don't even look – they're not even NFL tackles. That was the 20, 20, 21 draft. draft. It was a 21 draft. Um, yeah, like they, they haven't even shown that they can even play at the tackle Kevin spot. Kevin Jenkins was part of that team. Kevin Jenkins was another round. one. I think he got moved into guard as well. Because he was he played right tackle. He held out longer than Cosme and uh, Eichenberg did. But Rashawn Slater, he got you saw on. him uh, Slater with the Chargers. Actually, he's is, actually is Slater okay. guard now? Is he? No, he's still right tackle. He played for the uh, yeah. Char- Alex yeah, Leatherwood. Leatherwood, that, uh, Leatherwood got overdrafted. <laughs> yeah, Alex Leatherwood for sure. We thought we called that that night, but now uh, Alex Leatherwood. That was a terrible is, uh, with the Cleveland Browns uh, practice squad. Yeah, he because he, he bounced from the Raiders to the Bears. He was just with the Raiders one year, and that was a first round pick. Right, and he no, he was with them for two, I think. No, just one year. Was it just one? Yeah, year? one year. He was uh, he was the Allen Trophy winner. Yes, but that's why, that's why the Chiefs called the, the Bravens about Orlando Brown. They gave him to him, because, and they gave him pick fifty eight, which turned in to Nick Bolden because he was not like we like. I, I mean, I think you knew this. I knew this. Like he, we knew before draft season started, he's going to be a guard in the NFL. He's not going to be a tackle. Because he doesn't have the athletic profile. He doesn't have the feet for it. He doesn't have the technique. Like, it's just not who he is. And then they put him in a position where he was set up to fail. And look at him now. Uh, so, I want to finish our, our main topics here, talking about the Caleb Williams situation. Um, 
Caleb Williams hasn't been great the last three weeks. He has not looked quite the same, this invincible uh, escape artist in the pocket making these impossible, crazy-ass throws. He has not looked like that. And, you know, there was a time where it was for sure he was the next superstar quarterback to come out of college and play in the in, in the NFL. And I'm not saying that, like, he's his ability to be the number one overall pick is being drastically affected by his play right now. I still think he's going to be the top pick in the draft unless he just completely melts down. But, you know, if you look at his game this past week, 24 of 34 for 260, 56 yards, no touchdowns, nothing, no picks, nothing. Just throwing for a bunch of yards. They went out and they got smacked by Utah. Wasn't even close. And you watch his performance in that game, and you just get the feeling. was close. Oh, well, actually, no. Actually, actually. <laughs> it was close. But, like, they – that was one of those games where, like, it shouldn't you, have been close. It was, it was a game where it shouldn't have been close, but you, I never really felt like USC was really. Nah, in I, I, I didn't either, Chris. And, and the one thing you're right, he's got three touchdown passes in the last. No, excuse me, he's got two touchdown passes in the last three weeks, and he still leads college football in touchdowns. He's passes. still at seventy point six percent completion, but he's at two fifty six, then one ninety nine, then two nineteen. But the bottom line is, he was seen. He, he actually drew Patrick Mahomes comparison. He did. From, like, I remember Nick Wright has been at he the forefront of that. A lot get, of people did. Like, we haven't that. seen that with any other quarterbacks. And we, this is a great quarterback draft class. But you haven't seen the Mahomes comparisons except for Caleb. Caleb has them. Yeah. Which I think was unfair. I think, I think it's unfair. I don't think you should be comparing anybody to Mahomes because, again, generational quarterback. It's like saying any pocket-passing quarterback is Tom Brady. It's a terrible, terrible comparison. But I feel like... The hype for Caleb has kind of it might actually now be working against him because now that he is not playing that great, everyone's like, oh, he's a fraud. Yeah, they're, a fraud. they're saying it, but he's got a Heisman under his belt. I, I will say this. And last year I was a proponent of Stetson Bennett. It was funny because the uh the Heisman trophy candidates, Caleb Williams wins the Heisman, but he was the only one not in the playoffs. Right. Out of the quarterbacks that were there. He lost to Utah twice last year. He did. And lost to him uh, this year. He's lost the last three times uh, to Utah. He's a generational talent, though. I still think he's a top pick in the draft. But I want to see how he performs. And the NFL teams are going to be watching. How is Caleb Williams going to respond right. now to just the ultimate adversity, not having a defense? Because he's got to carry this team. That's how Patrick Mahomes, if he wants to be compared to Mahomes, Carry your team with a with a crappy I, I, defense. I hope he doesn't want to be compared well, to Mahomes. Because Patrick so. Mahomes' defense, there's 133 teams in Division One now. There was 128 when Mahomes played. His scoring defense was ranked 128. Yeah. Dead last in the nation. Mahomes had to score a touchdown every every time he was on the field. Show me that Moxie. And then Emmanuel Acho that's out there that uh, is on college football post game shows. Yeah. He's he, doing he, he's doing Fox Sports, I he, believe. Yeah, he said, well, 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 you know, he paraphrase here, but basically, you know, questioning why play the rest of the year? You're not going to make the playoffs. You don't want to get hurt. Here's the one thing you got to remember. He's still upwards of about $4 million in nil money. Name, image, and likeness money. Yeah, so he's going miss play. out on that. <laughs> but I think it's important for him to showcase himself. And, again, this is why I think USC is a team building for the NFL draft now at this point. Yeah. To see how you respond when the chips are down and the expectations are low. How are these guys going to go out and perform each and every week? And it's up to Caleb. Because, again, 
Caleb didn't have a great game, but he still was at seven, almost 71% completion yeah. in that game. How were you going to perform? Because his defense is terrible. Yeah. And, he, and we talked about that week zero. Like, they're terrible. They gave up, like, over 30 points like we to liked USC, San Jose State. They were going to fall on their face. But we knew that that team was probably not going to be up there with the Ohio States and the Michigans yeah. and the Georgia. And Colorado kind of spotlighted that that second half. They exactly. Started back yeah, on. they started coming back, and they made it a one-score game at the end. Um, yeah, I mean, I agree with you on, on, on him not sitting out. I don't think – like, if he wants to sit out the bowl game, who cares about that? But if you decide you're going to sit out anyway. in mid-October – what does that say about your character as a leader? Because again, this is a quarterback. And what time he's going to play is if they were in the playoffs, right? This is not a. This is not a. Uh, this is not a, a, a offensive lineman. This is not a a DB. This is not a running back. You know, this is a quarterback. This is the leader of the D, of the offense. This is the guy that you want setting the tone. And I don't think teams are going to want a guy who is deciding that he's going to preserve himself so that he can make money, he can make more money, he can like make sure he preserves his draft stock. You need a leader of a team, man. And I think Yeah, one, you need a thing, guy that's willing to put it all out there uh, for the I, team. And I think we're starting to see with Mahomes and the characteristics of what makes a good quarterback. And again, the team has to like you. And I've always thought that you have to they have to run a want to run through a wall for you. Yeah. Mahomes plays video games with his teammates. He has his teammates to his place down he's in Texas. Also, he's also they down. They like him. You have to like your starting quarterback. Like Justin Herbert, he always had some leadership knocks on him when he came in. He's got more losses since of any active starting quarterback since the league. And his draft profile was needs the wild play. Very good arm, very strong, needs the wild play. But people are questioning leadership with Herbert. That's very important because you can have a golden arm, but people, he seems like a likable guy. I don't know about the uh, – the intangibles, but like a Josh Allen, a Mahomes, a Burrow, guys that the teammates absolutely love playing for that guy. There's no doubt they're quarterback number one. That's what teams are going to look for. You don't want a prima donna in that position. You don't want to be picking one one in the draft and have a prima donna that your other teammates on that team are going to resent. No, no, he's got to be one of the dudes, man. Joe Montana, when he was with the Chiefs, he used to take the lineman when they had training camp up River Falls out for beers. At bows in mind. That, that's being one of the dudes, man. Yeah. I mean, it's a position that has Teasing been, Neil Smith and taking his bat when he first got with the Chiefs. That's being a dude. It's a position that requires you to have to relate with your teammates more than yeah. the average position. Because that position has kind of become a very highly protected position with the way that the rules are stated, with the amount of money those guys are making. So you can't be the guy that thinks you're better than everyone else. I think that's one of the things that hurt the Broncos last year and kind of hurts them still now is the fact that Russ kind of carries himself like he's better than everyone else. So I think that's something that is uh, very important, and I don't want Caleb to go down that route because if he does, the chances of him winning wherever he gets drafted to are very, very low because you do got to get the players to respect you as a, as a man, and you got to get them to respect you as a player and if they respect your game but they don't respect who you are, it's going to be hard for them to want to go out there and do it because they're like, hey, he's going to get paid regardless of what happens. And, then, you know, there's going to be some sacrifices, and maybe that sacrifice will be And made, after the so. game, he's going to leave early. He's not going to sit there and sign the yeah. autograph. Because Mahomes, everything you hear, he signs. Like, players come to him because they all want him to sign things, too, for their family and everything. He does. Yeah. Like, he just does. It's just being a dude, man. So getting on to our weekly prospect recap, starting out, 
J.J. McCarthy, quarterback at Michigan, 21 of 27 for 287 yards, four touchdowns. He is not – he's not – this gunslinger a la, you know, Michael Penix or or um, or Caleb Williams, but he's a very efficient passer that I could see. I mean, I think I think if we're going to see a comparison thrown out there, it's going to be like a Kirk Cousins type comparison for a guy like him. And I kind of like the same way we saw with like Kenny Pickett a couple years ago. I think that we're going to see McCarthy – probably slated as that fourth or fifth quarterback in this draft class. And I could see some teams sitting there in the middle of the first round, late first round, looking at him and they're like, okay, this guy's played with talent. This guy has played with a a very heavy running system because he's got Corum, he's got Edwards. So let's put him in here. We're going to be run heavy anyways. We're going to run a lot of play action. And we got a guy who's going to be able to do that here. I, I mean, don't be shocked. I, like, even though if they've done it, they've taken a quarterback the last couple of years. Don't be shocked that the Titans decide to go take a guy like JJ McCarthy. I just like his all around game. It's why I've had him. We started doing the Heisman early on. That's why I had him up there at two and three. Right. Right now, as we sit, he's the Heisman favorite. JJ McCarthy. Like he is. Clo- I mean, he was like seven. I, I think that'll change. But yeah. Gets, but here's yeah. the thing. I hope teams aren't going to knock him because of the scandal going on. About scouting teams, Michigan, you know, had had a guy that was going out to all these. I don't games. think anybody's going to care about that. Well, people have really been following this deal. Yeah, and but I don't think anyone's going to care about that. I, for I hope him. not. And the guy, by the way, the news just came out today. The guy that uh, was going around in all these games, he had a ticket on each side, right. looking right at the bench at Penn State, Ohio State. He did yeah. not go to that game, but he had a ticket on the Penn State side, the Ohio State. He was going to yeah. go to both. He's going to go both and get them, get them signed. But I hope, I hope. <laughs> I hope JJ McCarthy doesn't get knocked by this. Like, yeah, he knows all the signs for the other team. I don't think. I don't think that's gonna. He didn't have time to think about that. Because first and foremost, if we're gonna be real, real about this, teams have been stealing signs for years. Like, it's not a secret. It's it's not a bounty gate. Came out of the Saints. Oh, oh, people have been been doing bounties for years. Everybody does bounty gates. Bounty's not new. The Saints did it a lot. Greg Williams had elaborate spreadsheet for it, but other teams did bounties. It was more scientific. With the, with the Saints, but, like, I remember hearing people in my high school locker room talk about injuring Josh Freeman when he was playing at Grandview. It's just how it is. It's, this is just part of football, man. So, like, that's the reason why I'm not so caught up in the sign-stealing thing. Well, Bill because, like, is considered the greatest ever, and yeah. the Patriots are no stranger to it. Not that, like Bill Cowher openly talked about how they you know, about how they were stealing. Hey, uh, he was trying to steal signs, If there wasn't teams too. doing it, then why does every offensive coordinator yeah. have the, the play sheet buried – in their head, with yeah. their head buried behind. Yeah, they're it. covering their mouths because they know people are trying to read lips on the other side. Yeah, yeah. it's why you have those silly signs now, like Wendy's or whatever. They're like the exactly. signs signals. The teams change them up all the time. Exactly. Like, dude, people have been stealing signs for decades yeah. now. Like, I just hope they don't knock McCarthy. I, I think anyone. I don't. I don't. Maybe maybe like media people will because they don't know how how much that that's in play. But like nobody in an NFL organization is going to hold that against JJ. Yeah, because they know the game. Um. Moving on to Ohio State wide receiver Marvin Harrison Jr., who uh, this past Saturday looked like the top receiver in this draft class. 11 catches, 162 yards, and a touchdown against Penn State. Um, yeah, he, he again, he's he, he's just so solid. He's not like this. He's not like Odell Beckham Jr. was or Jamar Chase was uh, or Justin Jefferson when they were in college where, like, they were just these athletic specimens who – Every time they touch the ball, it's electric. The thing with him is he's just so 
it, like his dad. It's actually crazy to think about. It. It's just like his dad. He's so fundamentally sound with how he plays the wide receiver position. The way he runs routes, the way he catches, he catches everything just right there. He's very reliable. You know he's probably going to be open. Even if he's not quite open, you can still throw it in there and he'll win it. I mean, just like his dad, everything about him is just technically proficient. And that's the reason why he's the top receiver in this draft class because there's not very many guys at that level that are as technically proficient as what we're seeing from Marvin Harrison Jr. I think he's the top non-quarterback in college football, and you can even make a case that he could be the top player in college football. Certainly the Heisman was seventh in odds at this point. Right, He's a game-changer, and that was the biggest difference if you watch that Penn State-Ohio State game was he changes the game. That's exactly what you want, a guy that's not, 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 not just a piece, but a guy that's a game-changer. That's Marvin Harrison. The biggest difference between Ohio State and Penn State, Ohio State had Marvin Harrison Jr. Penn State did not. Penn State was one of 16 on third down. That's why they lost. They could not move the ball. Hey, both defenses are great. Penn State's offense was horrible. Ohio State was different because of Marvin Harrison Jr. That's why he's a special talent. That's why when you talk generational talent, I truly believe Marvin Harrison Jr. will end up being the best pro in this draft. Then there is... uh... A guy who's really kind of climbed up people's boards after he kind of had issues getting eligibility to even play, that being UNC wide receiver Tez Walker. Now you see why they wanted him so much. 11 catches, 146 yards, and a touchdown for them this past week. But it was in a loss. It was in a loss. It was a disappointing loss. It was part of a – I had a parlay that this was a part of. And I was <laughs> pissed. I was very pissed when, when UNC lost that game because I was like, oh, they got this. But I will say this, man. Tez – Tez, he's showing. He's showing a little bit of something. I don't know if he's a first-round pick because this is a crowded wide receiver class, but, like, I think second day, he could be the uh, one of the steals on the second day. I, I think at this point maybe a second-rounder, but an incredibly talented transfer player in the North Carolina, and you could see why they wanted him. Uh, I mean, Mac was fighting hard why they for coveted. him. I, I he was fighting that, hard for him. I haven't seen get, a, pl- a team eligible. fight for a player more than Tez Walker. I, yeah, I've never seen that much. That man was trying so hard. And, and we see I was like, why he now. must be something special. He must be pretty damn good because yeah. he came from the Mac. Yeah. So, I remember hearing about him, and I was like, I was like, why is he fighting for this transfer that hard? Oh, we see now. See. We see now. Um, then we have UCLA address for Liatu Latu. Got another sack this past weekend. He's at six and a half on the season. In the last three games, he's got two and a half. So uh, he's got at least half a sack in his last three games. This guy is is building up that consistency that you need at that position. That's a position where a lot of times a guy will get like, and we see it all the time in the NFL, a guy will get like 10 sacks, but like he really only had a sack in like seven of his games, and he had like a three-sack performance, and then all the other sacks came in the other in the other games there. And so it's like that is really where you're starting to see him start to accumulate those statistics, consistently generating pressure, consistently getting his hands on the quarterback. That's what you want to see. And that's the reason why I think, I mean, certainly I think Dallas Turner is going to be the top edge rusher in this draft class. I think there's a very strong case that Lyotsu Latu is going to be number two, though. Above Jerry Verse, even though I know the measurables people really like with Verse. But I look at... Lot to, and I'm like, okay, this guy, he is, he's his level of production. The fact that he's the top player on a very good defense at UCLA, two good edge rushers. There. Yeah, like I think, I think he's going to be a guy that when we're looking at like combine season, 
that's a guy I'm I'm really looking. I think is going to be like one of the stars of of the uh, of the combine in February. I always talk about when you watch games, how many times your name mentioned. Yes, do you mention your name? Quite do you a bit? jump off the screen? In law two de- definitely does that. You'll get a chance to watch. It was against Stanford last week. It was it was a televised game, of course. But this week it's against Deion Sanders. Yeah, it's Colorado. Colorado. Hey, we'll talk more way. about that one later. Hey, but, but put this way, expect sacks. Yes, your Sanders get sacked. Not a all and, the and that's not a very good line. He's going up against. <laughs> that's not a good line. Then we're moving on to Illinois defensive tackle Jerzon Newton, who had a sack this weekend as well. He had six tackles in that game as well. He's got three and a half. This is a lot season. for an interior lineman. He's a defensive tackle with three and a half sacks in, at the collegiate level. That's a good number. He has been widely uh, held as the best defensive tackle in this draft class since the very beginning of the year. And he's really showing it, especially for an Illinois team that isn't really that good. Like, this is an Illinois team that's got some talent, but right now they're not really performing that great. Bielema has got a having a really tough time there. And I, I think that Newton is going to be one of those guys probably mid-first, if not in the 20s. And I think whoever he goes to is getting a very, very strong pass-rushing defensive tackle. One of the best defenses in the country last year, of course, uh, three picks in the top three rounds. Uh, for Illinois, and they lose the defensive coordinator that year. But Newton has stayed there, and he's continued continued to put up the numbers. Then you've got Washington quarterback Even Michael. The team's struggling. I know, right? That team's not playing well at all. Then you've got Washington quarterback Michael Penix Jr. had a down game this past week: twenty-seven for forty-two, two seventy-five, two interceptions. So uh, not the best performance from Penix. Certainly could be something that you'll see used against him, especially because again. This was uh, this is a, a Washington team that has is loaded with talent. They've got a lot of really really good players on that team, and yet they are still like this is one of those games where like it was low scoring. They struggled to really get in the end zone, and they were able to you know grind out a win. But you want to see a guy like him be consistent game in and game out, especially at this level. Because if you start having struggles against good teams and whatnot at the at this level, what happens when you go play better talent? And the Pac-12 was loaded this year. There's a lot of good teams in that conference, but you still want to see him perform better. You can't have no touchdowns and two picks in a game like this. So definitely disappointing. Then you've got Mr. Consistent, LSU wide receiver Malik Neighbors. Four catches for 121 yards, two touchdowns. Um, I... I I think it's very clear he's the number two wide receiver in this draft class. I think that question of we've been asking all all season long, who's that number two wide receiver? I think it's very clearly Malik Neighbors right now. Um, I would not be shocked if he ended up being the best wide receiver from this draft class because of how consistent he is. But man, like you just watching him, it's again, it's the same. It's very similar to what I, I kind of feel with Marvin Harrison Jr. He's just technically proficient. Just runs routes very well. Catches everything. I mean, every time he he whenever they need a play, whenever Jaden Daniels is looking for a playmaker to help move the ball down the field, it's usually neighbors that's that guy. I'm I'm very excited for what he could do at the next. He's level. my uh, second uh, receiver at this point. You talk about Penix. I want to see if he's the second quarterback drafted, but. Uh, Malik Neighbors is my second favorite wide receiver in this year's draft. Now, if Luther Burden was in this year's draft, that would be oh my yeah, he'd be number two receiver. He'd be number two, yeah, uh, behind Marvin Harrison. But Malik Neighbors would be my—he's uh, just a playmaker. 
just a, a consummate playmaker every time you watch LSU play. And by the way, they're coming on strong. They are. I, I've liked LSU from the beginning, but they keep getting better and better. Yeah, that, that game against Army was, uh, was them kind of flexing some of their muscles this past weekend. Um, so moving on to moneymakers, guys that performed well this weekend, enough to where we can start see we can start seeing their draft stock rise. Um, one guy that jumped out to me big time was uh, Oklahoma State running back Ollie Gordon. He was 29. He had 29 carries for 282 yards, four touchdowns. He's not draft eligible. He's a sophomore. So this is a guy that's going to be for next year. But we're talking about someone that is really and, – and look, what we're seeing from this, this Oklahoma State team is really interesting because they've been playing a lot of good teams, and they've been playing them very well, very them. competitively. They've been beating them. You yeah, know, he's they, a big part of it. They they put they you know, they they were able to go out there and and uh, give some teams some scares. I mean, I watched them play against uh, Oklahoma. I mean, uh, against Kansas State, and they gave them everything they wanted. I mean, I I think that we could be talking about a guy next year in Ollie Gordon who could be like a day two guy in the running for one of the top running backs taken. Well, which is difficult for running back to get to, but you're talking about a guy. It's uh, averaging seven yards a carry. But not only that, Chris, he's got that uh, magical good hands. The yes. teams look for the 17 grabs. He can catch. For 180 yards this year as well. But Oklahoma State's an interesting team, and he's been a big part of that resurgence. Then you've got Washington State wide receiver Lincoln Victor, who had 16 receptions for 161 yards. Um, he's kind of been one of the workhorse guys there for that Washington State Cougars offense. Then you've got... He's not getting a lot of run. Not getting a ton. Like, as far as the wide receiver, probably a a mid-round. Probably a third-day guy, I think. I think probably a third-day guy. But great hands. Great hands. Very consistent. I mean, when you are catching 16 passes in a game, I mean, that says a lot about your ability to get open and your ability to to make those catches. And that's what teams are going to value right now. Can you run routes? Can you catch? Like, it's cool if you've got the the electricity after the catch, but... Teams right now are focusing on technicians, route technicians. Can you get open? Can you get, especially because a lot of teams now are employing press coverage, even in zone, so they can throw off the timing of these offenses because you look at, like, the Dolphins' offense, it's all about timing. You know, two gets the ball out in, like, two and a half seconds. So it's important that you have someone that can get open and can catch. And guys like him, they will have teams interested in their work just because of what they're showing there. Then you've got an edge rusher from Miami in Reuben Bain Jr., who had two sacks this past weekend. I, I always say this about edge rushers. Edge rusher is a position that teams can never have enough. It's like wide receiver. You can never have enough good wide receivers. You can never have enough good edge rushers. So anybody, and, and I think at this point now, Bain's probably a rotational guy, probably a late-round guy, but I think that there's value in that what we've seen here the last few years where teams are taking these guys who are are rotational guys and getting good value from them i think that's where bain jr kind of lies in then troy running back kamani vidal who leads the fbs in rushing yards this guy right now i think is really interesting because there are some very good running backs in this draft class but it doesn't really matter where you go to school at for running back no, it doesn't at all. I mean, look at Pacheco coming out of Rutgers. Rutgers. I know Rutgers. They wouldn't even use their They're Rutgers. They're eligible this year, by the way. They, I know, right? They're already bowl eligible But they don't get point. used. At, 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 he wasn't even used. But Kamani Vidal is a tough, tough, tough runner. 
Yeah. And so he had 23 cat 23 uh carries for 116 uh this past week. The week before he had 245 yards uh from scrim- you know, 245 rushing yards. So this is a guy that is again just super consistent. He's getting a lot of work. You, obviously when you know, when you see guys who are getting 23 carries, you know, well over 20 carries, you kind of worry about when they're going to break down cuz that's a position that's starting to break down a little bit earlier than normal. But that's a guy I could see coming in. Maybe a team has a starting running back, but maybe they're aging. Okay, let's bring in this young workhorse guy that's used to getting a lot of uh, a lot of usage, and then we're going to plug him in when we need to, and he's going to be great. And then uh, a guy that you love, you've talked about him a lot, and a guy I'm really starting to get into, LSU wide receiver Brian Thomas Jr., three catches for 122, two touchdowns this past week. Yeah, It's funny, it, I was looking at the the statistics for FBS leaders and whatnot. I do it every week when I do this segment. He leads the FBS in receiving touchdowns, and he's 10th in yards. And he, he's not getting much run because he's got Malik Neighbors there, who's a better receiver than him, but he's still really damn good. And this is a guy who's just coming out of nowhere. And he's 6'5", just under 200 pounds, like 188 pounds. So you probably want him to add a little bit more weight. Kind of a... Marquez Valdez Scantling body type, if you will. Uh, I'll be interested to see what the speed is for him. I think that uh, that forty time is going to be vital for him this this coming year uh, in the at the combine. This is a guy that's really starting to come on, man. And it's good size as well. I just kind of wonder having Malik Neighbors on the other side and having a Jaden Daniels at quarterback. It's right. really starting to, to for two losses climbing up the Heisman chart to top five, but. I always kind of wonder if it's two guys and who's getting the attention of the other. But Brian Thomas stands out, and getting in the end zone has been the big thing with him, obviously leads uh, FBS in touchdowns. Yeah, and so I'm going to be interested because I I wouldn't be shocked if he were to sneak into the first round. Like, I wouldn't be shocked if a team was like, okay, this is the next T. Higgins. Like, we could just go get a big guy who's long, who's athletic, and who is just a great red zone threat. Okay, let's get him. Like, I wouldn't be shocked if he, you know, some team late in the first decided to go grab him just because of the T. Higgins story. Because Higgins is a guy that dropped to early second, which he shouldn't have. He was great. He should have been drafted in the first round. Was that the same year that Jalen Rager got drafted in the first round ahead of Justin Jefferson? I'm pretty sure that was. Was that? That was 20, right? He got drafted in 20. Yeah, yeah. The Jalen Rager's year. Yeah, yeah, that was Jalen Rager's year because Justin Jefferson got drafted that same year, and then he got drafted early in the second round because I remember being like, what the hell are all these other teams doing? Yeah, he was number two behind uh, Jamar Chase. Yeah. But he came back and played that next year when Jamar didn't play his last year. Yeah. And and Justin Jefferson did. 2020 draft, so that was kind of right before the – that was during. That was like when the pandemic was in full swing. Yeah, it was they, they still had the combine that year. I think it was twenty twenty one. They had the combine. Yes, if I was mistaken. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, it was. It was. That, that was year. the year that Joe Burrow went number one. Went number one. That's when LSU had the. That was the draft basement picks. draft. That was the Goodell's basement draft. Yeah, Jalen Rager went twenty first to the Eagles. Justin Jefferson went twenty two, which was ridiculous. Yeah, twenty one. I couldn't believe that Jalen Rager went that high. <laughs> it's ridiculous. So moving on to our watch list, gonna start. Florida State, Wake Forest, um, you know, we've said this before, Johnny Wilson Jr., Keon Coleman, those are the two guys right there. you got to watch those guys. Um, I'm very, like I said, I have been very adamant about Keon Coleman. Johnny Wilson Jr. is cool. He's 6'7", 
you know, good possession style receiver. But Keanu Turns. Keanu's big. He's big, but he's fast. And he's agile. He doesn't play like he's 6'4. He plays like he's 5'11, 6 foot. He plays like he is a gadget player with the speed and agility. Like, I think, and I mean, I've been saying this a lot about a lot of guys. Keon Coleman might be the more t- most talented receiver in this draft. And, and we're sitting here, and again, this is where the Chiefs they sit at the end of the first round. There's going to be a plentiful yeah. amount of wide receiver talent that's big, fast, physical sitting there for the Kansas City Chiefs. It's not going to be like last year where we had no. this big stretch. Okay, do we take Quentin Johnson in the first round like the Chargers did? Yeah. Because there was like three, four guys who right, they're first-rounders. Not this year. No. You can make an argument that second-rounders would be first-rounders this year. It's going to be all who you like the best. Yeah, and there's not going to be a – is Zay Flowers a first-round receiver? No, there's going to be no – like there's none of that. Like this year it's going to be – I cannot believe that that receiver was taken in the second round. There's going to be that. There's going to be like – that guy's so good, how did he not go in the first? Like, I guarantee you that's what it's going to be. For probably at least two or three of those guys that are taken on the second or third, on the second day there. Um, also, Jared Verse, edge rusher for Florida State, because he was the highest touted edge rusher in the draft class. Um, also, tight end Jaheim Bell. I actually, in my mock draft, or I did that mock draft earlier um, on my own. Jaheim Bell. So I, was able, I, was able like to, I was able to get him in the fourth round. You know, pass catching tight end. It's yeah. like all the different ways they use Gene Bell. He's fun to watch. Yeah. Uh, Indiana taking on number 10 Penn State. Uh, tackle Olu Fashanu, um, who's widely considered one of, if not the best, left tackle in this draft class. I don't think he's going to be in play for the Chiefs. I think he's probably going to go top 10. Um, there's some very, uh, very tackle needy teams out there that could use a guy like him. Uh, edge rusher Chop Robinson. I know he got hurt in he got that hurt, game against yeah. Ohio State. Um, do we have any follow up on his injury there? I, I don't know what they said with Chop, but it wasn't because it didn't he look went good. to the medical tent and limped and off they, of it. And they carted him back to the locker room. Like it didn't look good. Like I remember watching him and be like, "Oh no, that's not good for Chop." And Chop was a guy that I've seen as a potential first round edge rusher. So if he does end up playing, obviously good for his draft stock. Him getting hurt though. It could affect him. I haven't heard his name called nearly as much this year as far as, like, top edge rushers go uh, in terms of performance. But that's a guy that you you look at the talent, you watch him on film, you're like, okay, this guy's got something. He could be something at this level. Um, but he's the heart and soul at Penn State defense, is. which yeah. is a top three defense. And they got a good uh, corner as well, and Kalen King um, didn't have the greatest game when you're going up against a guy like Marvin Harrison Jr. But uh, Kalen King, another guy who's – he was kind of the second guy to Joey Porter Jr. last year, but very talented corner. Then you got Houston taking on K-State, uh, a game that I will be in attendance for. And you've got tight end Ben Sennett, who is, last week, th- with the whole two-quarterback situation, I'm kind of concerned he's not going to get the kind of usage that he was getting before. I mean, didn't have a catch at all this week. The week before, he had six catches for 72, I think it was, or 76. We still don't know his 100% status this yeah, week either. I know. And so you're yeah. kind of concerned about that. You don't want those injuries to creep up. And then, obviously, guard Cooper BB. Yeah, he's solid. He, it's funny. I they had 346 yards rushing this past yeah. week. On my mock draft, I was able to get Cooper in the fifth. Were you? Yeah. <laughs> I'm serious. In the fifth. Oh, I don't man. think he's going to be available in the fifth. Maybe he's a first round. I think he's probably going to be first or second rounder. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, no, Cooper, I, I, I was looking at that. I was like, Bro, this mock draft don't know what it's doing. If you think Cooper's going to be there in the fifth, 
So that was a guy I was looking at. Clemson taking on North Carolina State. We've got Barrett Carter, linebacker for Clemson. Also got Nate Wiggins as well. Um, so you've the, Clemson is not – they're young. They're probably a next-year team. If I mean, obviously, you got to worry about, like, transfers because yeah. <laughs> Clemson doesn't take transfers. <laughs> Just so stupid. Close loss. Yeah. Uh, but Clemson's got some talent. But on Nate defense. Wiggins, the cornerback, is fun to watch. And Barrett Carter, that linebacker. I yeah. love watching these guys play. Yeah. Then you got uh, the world's largest cocktail party. You've got Georgia taking on Florida. Um, Brock Bowers, we don't know anything about his timetable. I think it's at four to six weeks, something like that. So, what I call that surgery, the uh, for the high ankle sprain. I don't know what it was called. Oh, it's sidestep or what they call it. Something. But, like, it was basically – because he he had a high ankle sprain, and basically the surgery was made to help alleviate symptoms. Yeah, to so get back faster. Get back faster. Because Amarius Mims had a, a tightrope surgery. Right. Because Mims, surgery, the, one of the outstanding tackles they have, had the surgery and, as well. And Mims is a guy who many thought could be a first-round tackle in this coming draft. He's he's a very good right tackle. Um, so, yeah, no Brock Bowers this week. Probably done until the SEC championship game at the earliest. So, no, no, he's not going to be in there. But there's a couple guys on that Georgia defense that are interesting, one being cornerback uh, Kamari Lassiter and the other being safety Javon Bullard. Then – Hybrid role where he could he actually slid into the nickel as well. Right. So Then there's another guy that's really I, – I think he's probably a third-day guy, but a guy that I think has really started to stand out a lot. That's Florida wide receiver Ricky Pearsall. Um, Pearsall – was originally an Arizona State transfer. He transferred when the whole, uh, whenever all everything kind of fell out with uh, Antonio Pierce at Arizona State and Herm Edwards, and they got in trouble. Um, Pearsall has been very solid. He's already he's almost matched his output from 2022 this year. He's over 600 yards already, 44 catches. The thing that's interesting about him though is he's starting to develop his route running. He's becoming a very consistent wide receiver. Probably not going to be a high-round pick guy, but I think if you're looking at a third-day guy who could be a good third or fourth option on a team next year, uh, Pearsall's the guy. I, I think Pearsall could be a – he could end up being a, a Puka Nakua-type player in the uh, in the draft. Will anybody slip and not pick him? <laughs> man. Yeah, I think I think not he could fast. I think he could, man, is he the best? That's what I'm receiver. saying. He's like he's just very fundamentally sound and he gets the job done. I think he could be a Pukanako type Puka. guy. BYU takes on Texas. Uh Xavier Worthy, uh, a guy that you really like being at wide receiver. I like, John, I like their whole receiving core. Yeah, their receiving core is good. AD Mitchell's another guy, too. And, and their tight end, Jatavian Sanders. Jatavian Sanders. Do we know if Sanders is going to be good to Quinn go with Ewers the ankle? Quinn Ewers is going to miss some games, Because Quinn Ewers is going to be out with it, with an injury. He's what is it, Didn't they say it was like four games he's going to be out? Yeah, so Quinn Ewers, the, the injury starting to mount up, but that offense, the skill position, is something to watch for Texas. Yeah, and and so obviously, you know, Jonathan Brooks is going to be a, a – he's my favorite running back from this draft class. Um, I just love the way he works. Those Texas running backs, they run hard. They're very physical. I, I, really, I, I, I like how Jonathan, uh, Jonathan Brooks plays. So, um, Jalen Catalan, the safety net, is one to watch yeah, as well. Yeah, Catalan as well. And then you also have both of their defensive tackles, that being Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy the second. Then you've got Pitt taking on Notre Dame, San Hartman, 
uh, Joe Alt, Blake Fisher, and uh, Autrick Estime on their offense. Those are guys to watch. Autrick, I think, has a very good case to be the top running back taken in this draft class. Um, Duke taking on Louisville. Uh, do we know, like, is Riley Leonard back to 100% That's the question because this is the second game he's been banged up in, so we're yeah. not sure on that where, where he sits. There's a lot of question marks about him, but he's a, also another potential first-round quarterback that, that could be available there, and that could help the Chiefs because that's one less potential wide I think he is a first-rounder. I think, I think there's a good chance, too. I Untalked think about first-rounder. The way that, yeah, like, I think after the Clemson game, I think he really kind of put himself up there, and and certainly the way that they have played here this year, where they're competitive against the top teams, yeah, good chance there. Virginia takes on Miami. You got Zion Nelson, Francis Maui Goa, um, safety James Williams, quarterback Tyler Van Dyke as well. Miami's got some talent. It's all Miami, even though Virginia with the big upset. Last week. That's all. <laughs> Miami's got a ton of talent. Yeah, they just make dumb. You know, it's funny. It's like they generally have a lot of – they've had a lot of talent since when Mark Richt was there. That's why they led – I think they led college football no money last year. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. I mean, they've they've been passing out money for a long time now. But But they're back to getting pro prospects all the time. Yes, they are. Um, USC takes on Cal. Um, USC is ranked 24th right now, so they're very, very quickly free-falling down the the rankings there. Um, Caleb Williams, obviously, that's – the guy to watch for as far as the draft goes. Um, then you got wide receiver Brendan White, Brendan Rice, Taj Washington, who's and really starting Mario to climb. Williams. Like that's really the untalked about, yeah. but probably the best. Well, he is the best receiver at USC right now. Yeah. And then there was Mario Washington and, and Dorian Singer. Singer was originally thought to be the top receiver at USC going into the season. Mario Williams is those two. Yeah, and like, I don't feel like any of those receivers are great. I just think they're like they're pretty good. Like. Probably a couple of those guys will probably play in the league for a little bit. But I don't feel like any of those guys are, like, great receivers. So, um, but certainly you want to watch. Maybe they break out. Maybe I'm wrong and, like, one or two of them breaks out. But certainly you got to look out for Caleb Williams as well. Washington takes on Stanford. That's the the regular crew on their offense with um, Michael Penix Jr., Roma Dunsey, uh, Jalen McMillan, and Jalen Polk. But also, and I, I talked about this last week, that uh, – that Elagayo Menor, wide receiver for Stanford, not draft eligible. He's two monster a sophomore, games he's put together. But he's put together two monster games, and this is a kid we're going to be talking about next year. Him and Luther. Him and uh, – probably not going to be up there with Luther. He's probably like maybe number two or number three. But this is a guy you could be looking at for the draft next year in the first round, maybe second round. But this is a guy I think uh, could very well play – He's right now he's playing himself into the NFL. Roma Dunsey, just the playmaker. I mean, just fun to watch. But the Jalen Polk, man, as we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, that's a receiver that's really, I think, starting to, uh, to gain yeah. maybe some first-round attention. Yeah, it's very possible. I think probably still second day. But if he can really put together some monster performances down the stretch for Washington, that's a guy I think scouts are really going to be looking at for first day. Um, Washington, I mean, uh, Ohio State takes on Wisconsin. That's the regular crew. Marvin Harrison Jr. and Mecca Egbuka. Your defensive tackles, Tyleek Williams and Michael Hall Jr. Again, you know, a lot of this is contingent on whether or not Breach is going to, uh, Veach is going to break his covenant and, and actually take an Ohio State player because he's never done it as the GM for the Chiefs. Um, you also have the edge rushers, Tui Malowal and Sawyer. Uh, Denzel Burke. Yeah, kind of a top three to five corner. I like yeah. his 6 1. 
Yeah, good size, 61190. You like you like that size. Uh, I think the league is starting to trend towards the bigger corners. It used to be, hey, we like the smaller guys because the speed and the ability to play the ball. But now teams, especially because of the tackling aspect, teams are starting to get away from those smaller corners, and they want the bigger, more physical guys who can uh, – play press coverage but can also come up and tackle running backs and receivers in the in the flat. So, a guy like him, that size, that ability to hit, yeah, he's 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 going to have value there. Um Colorado, as as we mentioned earlier, Colorado takes on number 23 UCLA, Shador Sanders, Xavier Weaver, Travis Hunter for um for Colorado, though Travis Hunter's not draft eligible this year. And we talked a lot last week on whether he should pick one side yeah. or the other. Because he was good at both, but the defensive back skills are starting to slip. From yeah, it's starting to slip. But yeah. Latu, your guy, is someone I'm watching this yeah. game. Because yeah. Shadur takes a ton of sacks. Yes, he gets hit a lot. He's got terrible. Both the Latu, side- two sacks this game. I'll go ahead and put the over under two. <laughs> I, I actually think you're, you're, you're onto something the there. Latu, two sacks this game. Okay. I think you're onto something. Latu's going to eat, man. He's going to eat against this. I guess this offensive line, oh. Colorado's terrible on both sides of the line there. I, I think, yeah, I think is going to have a, a, a really nice game. The Latu game. Yeah, I think Shador Sanders is going to learn a lot about Latu Latu here coming on Saturday. And then also a guy that you've been talking, you were talking to me a lot about this guy before. I remember seeing stuff about him before the draft. Uh, wide receiver for UCLA, J. Michael Sturdivant. Good, good size, but explosive, explosive speed. Just one of those down, down the field type of receivers. A guy probably you can get in second, third round at this point. Who knows when he gets to the combine? Sounds that, like a Chiefs type. When receiver. he goes out and runs like a four three five, yeah, sounds like a Chiefs receiver at that right size. There. You're going to see a lot more people like him. Yeah, yeah, he does. But the funny thing about him is he went to Flowery Mound, Texas. That's where he was uh, track and field. Yeah, yeah. And Floyd Little, he's his, his nephew, so mm-hmm. he's got the lineage, a pro football lineage, right. in his background. The interesting thing about him, he actually spent. Um, his first, what, one or two years at Blue Valley Northwest. So little known fact about J. Michael kind of, kind of a local kid. Um, and then you've got Old Dominion taking on number 25, James Madison. Uh, why are we talking about Old Dominion? because they got one of the best linebackers, maybe the best linebacker in this draft class, in Jason Henderson, guy that I talked about a lot. On my, He was one of my playmakers last week. Guy just makes tackles. He makes tackle for losses. He gets after the quarterback. I mean, this guy just does everything. And, I mean, I don't think he's a first-round pick because linebacker generally, unless you're an edge rusher, linebacker is not a position that's going to be taken there. Usually teams are going to go second day there to get their value. But this is a guy that could be a second-day steal for a team. The problem with us is we we, we find guys and hitch your wagon to them in the draft. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that is what we do out here. <laughs> And then finally, like yeah, we, yeah, we did. We did talk a lot about Lukey. I don't think I'm gonna. I don't think I'm gonna mock Henderson to the. Henderson's gonna be now. your guy. I can smell it now. No, I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna do that. And then finally, Oregon State takes on Arizona. Oregon State number eleven in the country. Um, big guy to watch for is their quarterback DJ Uia Galilei. And then they've got off an offensive tackle. Two offensive tackles actually. Yeah. that are really starting to – you wrote this down on a rundown, and you wrote the pronunciation. Down, I, so I you got to say it. But the, You got to say it. What's that? Tal, Talisa Fuaga. He's 6'5", 334 pounds. It's the right tackle. But their left tackle, Joshua Gray, getting a lot of run too. We're talking – You didn't have prob- any problem with the second probably one. Probably top two of the top 20 tackles in the country. Uh, Talisa gets a lot more uh, looks at uh, – 
right. Fuaga gets a lot more looks at, but he's the right tackle, but he's a mountain of a man, six six three thirty four. But if you're interested in linemen, again, we talk about Wanye Morris and slipping in, will the mm-hmm. Chiefs go tackle or not? But like Notre Dame, when you watch both the tackles or when you, when you watch Miami and watch that offensive line, Oregon State's an extremely physical football team, and it starts up front with their offensive line. Yeah, I mean, I'll say this. Like, I'm kind of leaning now towards the Chiefs not going tackle early. Maybe they go depth with tackle on the third day. We've seen them do that before, obviously, like Darian Kennard. Um, but I, I do think that I wouldn't be shocked if the Chiefs went tackle. But I, I kind of think now that that's off. That's off. Unless something, unless it's like one is just not made for it. If he's not made for it, then I, yeah, he's not going to do it. But I think right now, I think because he they, they've shown some confidence in him, I think it's probably they're going to give him a shot. So left tackle probably out of play. But again, would not be shocked if third day they decide, hey, we like this guy. He's got great measurables. We got to coach him up. And I've said this before. I have never seen a team that trusts their ability to coach more than the Kansas City Chiefs. So I wouldn't be shocked if uh, you saw one of these guys here, Fuaga or Gray end up being the uh one of the picks there yeah, if you like watching offensive day. line play Oregon State's a fun team to watch yeah uh, the 11th in the country but watch both book and tackles the right tackle I actually like more I like Fuaga more because he's, he's yeah. just six six three thirty four he's yeah. a mountain of a man oh yeah and he can move and you know Andy loves guys like that who are mountainous he's moves. a mountain and he and he can move and he's yeah, tough and to he get around loves guys who can move he loves that mobility he loves the strength and the length Oh, man. So, yeah, he's he's definitely an Andy type of guy. Um, so with that, we are done with this week's edition of the Character Concerns podcast. Make sure that you uh, subscribe. Make sure that you share it with your friends. Make sure that you give it five stars on whatever platform you use it on and probably go to the other platforms and give it five stars, too. We, we appreciate that. Um, make sure you get your downloads in, all of that. We appreciate the people who take time out of their week to listen to us. Um, we're now getting down close to that home stretch. We're almost to November now, which is that final third of the regular season for college football. And then after that, you've got conference championship games. And then we got bowl season after that. Um, certainly once we get to bowl season, we'll probably start doing some mock drafts. We'll start looking at other mock drafts and we're really going to start hitting at where we think the chiefs are going to be focusing on in the draft. Because I think we're starting to get some more clear answers as to where they're not going to go, um, especially with the way that the season has unfolded. So, for Jay Binkley? We need some character concerns. Uh, it's mock draft season. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I, actually, I actually think that would be a great back. idea. Mock draft season, let's go. Yeah, I, I'm about it. So, for Jay Binkley, I'm Christian Osero. We'll catch you guys next week.